Welcome into it, the inaugural Average Joe Sports Show podcast. Chris Schmidt, Bill Dolman, Mr. Mitch Sherman, Elijah Herbal. Guys, uh, we are, some of us, back from Boulder. We survived it. Pride of Fairbury, Bill Dolman, Mitch Sherman with The Athletic. And Elijah is uh, back, of course, in studio. Chris Schmidt. Guys, it's Nebraska football 2023. A lot's gone on. Not always uh, great in Nebraska 0-2 as they enter in uh, Matt Rule's first home game in Lincoln later on in the week. How's everyone doing? You know, I'm great. It's great to be a part of this. Good to be with you, Bill. Good to be with you, Schmitty, as usual. I think it's, it's fun. Uh, fun is maybe not the right word. It's historic <laughs> to be able to debut this, uh, this uh, podcast that we're doing as Nebraska comes home to open at Memorial Stadium having lost multiple games on the road for the first time since 1944, Ooh. if you can digest that. 0-3 in 1944. Something else, I think, was going on in the world in 1944 that took attention away from college football. But <laughs> we'll put our, try to put your finger on what that is. Yes. <laughs> A good historical perspective. And as you were saying, this is Nebraska football 2023, and this is the average Joe Sports Show. I'm thinking, is this average, is this 2023 or 2003, 2004, 5, 6, and 7, back when we were doing the Average Joe Sports Show on radio. So this is a rebirth of a great show, but kind of the same story of Nebraska football 2023. It really doesn't matter. The last 20 years just replicating itself in the first two weeks of this college football season. Is that because you see Jamal Lord playing quarterback <laughs> position exactly. right now? Yes, okay. Yeah, third down and eight, quarterback drawing, pick up seven punt. Huh? Or you pick up 17, and there's a, a, a flag on the field after after the fact. But, guys, uh, three of us got to Boulder and uh, survived Boulder, made it back. What we're going to do is try and bring you some stories from the road, also get heavy into football topics and thoughts, but uh, in a casual way. And uh, always appreciate you checking us out uh, on um, on Twitter and, of course, where the show is posted. And I think one of the interesting things that we have with this show, speaking of, of Boulder, is just – the, the generational aspect of Husker football that we have here, because I, I was one of the things I was digesting as I was driving solo to, to Boulder out on Friday, uh, going there to meet Schmitty, was just the, the rivalry aspect of Husker football, where if you ask someone from the older generation, somebody from 55 and up, Nebraska's biggest rival, well, it's Oklahoma. That's, mm-hmm. that's what you look forward to at the end of the year. And then you kind of had that middle-aged bracket of people who are currently aged 35 to 55, where the biggest rival of Husker football is, is the game we just saw. It's Nebraska-Colorado. And then somebody of my generation who's currently aged 15 to 25, it's Iowa. Iowa's the, the rivalry you wait for at the end of the year. And it's kind of interesting to see that breakdown because I think we have some people from every single demographic here of Bill. Bill remembers the Oklahoma rivalry, and that's what he grew up with. Then you get to, to Schmitty and Mitch where you guys were in college, and it's Nebraska-Colorado. It, it, it was Colorado, was, as, as Prime would say, were, they were coming. That was the venomous rivalry. And then, then for it was me, personal. It's, it's yes. Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think that's, a, that's an interesting element that we have on this show that, that is going to be unique, that we do have three different generations of, of Husker football all bringing their own unique insight to what we're seeing not only here in 2023, but hopefully beyond as well. Mitch, what, what, I have the story of the Great Boulder Peace Treaty between Nebraska fans and hotel management I'm going to get to in a moment. Some takeaways from you. You, you saw some unique artwork. I did. If I ever go to Boulder again, and, and I hope there is another home-and-home home series for Nebraska yes. out there, and it has to be a Nebraska game to be able to, uh, to test this experiment. So that was my, this was my 10th trip to Boulder for a Nebraska-Colorado game. Started in, in 95, mm-hmm. and I was a student in 95. I know a tough, tough year to be a, a student in Lincoln and follow the football team for the Daily Nebraskan, but uh, <laughs> that was the first one, and then this was the 10th one. And I will say that my experiences in Boulder have been, I think, completely different like the opposite of what the average fan, the average Joe, has experienced on their trips to Boulder. And it's because I'm not decked out in red, so I'm not the target of the Colorado fan whose life revolves for those two days around beating up on Nebraska. And I again, um, I was out with my colleagues Max Olson and David Ubbin, who have jumped on the Colorado beat, at least in the case of David, and, and Max uh, is a national college football writer for The Athletic. And we were out on Friday afternoon on Pearl Street in Boulder, and we saw nothing but respect and, I don't know about admiration, but Colorado and Nebraska fans were putting up with each other. 
at the stadium on Saturday, it was a little bit different, but none of it was directed at me. So, you know, 10 out of 10 times to Boulder, I've not really seen up close and personal some of the stuff that I hear about. And yes, I do have a photo. We went to a Boulder institution called The Sink. This is a, a bar with seven-foot-high ceilings, but great atmosphere. Watched Kansas and Illinois go okay. at it on TV. Got some some great burgers, and I noticed a, a mural on the wall. And this is not painted for the week game. There's not a Colorado State mural on the wall this week. It is a picture of three guys in a fraternity and someone who looks like Steven Tyler and someone who looks <laughs> slightly like Matt Rule, but it's not Matt Rule, taking a leak on a map right in the middle of the state of Nebraska. So basically they're pissing on Nebraska is is what's going on here. I think that is in general terms. That's what the artists wanted you to feel. The attitude of how people in Boulder feel about Nebraska. But I, again, didn't experience it. They, they absolutely just get cranked up and hate, and you go back to the declaration of war on Nebraska by Mac. And again... If you go back in time, that was bewildering to anybody really in Nebraska when Bill McCartney got that job in the early 1980s and says, Nebraska, of course, is our rival. Nebraska goes in red on the schedules. No red allowed on campus. And people back here in Lincoln are going, when did, when did this happen? We didn't – I don't think Nebraska fans and certainly the Nebraska administration, coaching staff ever – thought Nebraska and Colorado had this great rivalry. I think if you go back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, through the 90s, the rivalry was obviously with Oklahoma. Then there was the rivalry with Texas because of how everything went down with the Big 12 and the Big 8 and all that. I think Missouri and Nebraska had a much greater October rivalry than Nebraska and Colorado ever had. That was a black and blue game. So when Colorado comes out and Bill McCartney says, this is our rival, Coach Osborne's like, "Um, we missed something here. Now there was a manufactured bitterness and hatred back then because Tom was not dismissive of it, but just, again, bewildered that Colorado portrayed that as Tom Osborne was disrespecting Bill McCartney because he didn't acknowledge the the rivalry the way they did out there. And again, I think through the rest of Tom's tenure, that may be one thing that just always caught him off guard as to where did this rivalry come from? Maybe Colorado and McCartney missed an opportunity to uh, call out Tom Osborne for the disrespect that he showed them by not taking the Colorado job <laughs> in 1978 <laughs> when it was offered that, to him. That's what it's all about. Okay. I think we've discovered it. Hurt feelings. I'm with you, Bill, though. I always felt the hate more from Mizzou. It was real. It had... Uh, roots that went back to year after year of Nebraska stomping on Missouri. And actually, there, there, there were a lot of great games in that rivalry. But Tom as, Osborne's first loss was to Missouri. Right. There's Warren historic Powers. games there. And, and eventually, there were historic games with Colorado. But it was years after the rivalry was declared by Bill McCartney. And, and I actually felt it, I think, more in Manhattan, Kansas, even than I did myself. I know I'm, I don't speak for all Nebraska <laughs> Nebraska people here, but myself, I felt it. I felt a little bit intimidated sometimes driving into the parking lot in Manhattan and having all these people in purple staring at me, and I'm wondering what they're going to do to my car with the Nebraska license plate on it while I was inside the stadium. But um, in Colorado, I need to go undercover as a Nebraska fan the next game, dressed in red, just so I can truly feel what it's like. Well, I, I got my roommate uh, and a couple of my buddies went out to the Colorado game this weekend, and they, they didn't have any real horror stories from Colorado fans and they're all decked out in red they said you had some people yell some comments at you whenever you know you're going to the bathroom or whenever you're going to the concession stand but by and large I mean there was some chirping during the game but uh, my buddy Kip his brother was there and uh, he was chirping all game with uh, a Colorado fan who actually owns like over 100 Taco Bells in the state of Colorado um, but that's how he figured Good it investment. out is after the game you know what they're, they're yelling at each other they're having fun all game long and then on the way out they, they get to learn something about each other. They had a nice conversation. They, they got to shake some hands and move on afterwards. It wasn't the, the venom of Colorado of old, according to them. But then you have the occasional Husker fans that, that had some problems. I, I think it was a question of, did you want to make it a problem or did you not want to? Whenever you see the video of the, the middle-aged Husker fan throwing elbows on Colorado fans. That was a knockout shot. Let's be honest about the TikTok that's been going around where Husker fan had had enough. Buff fan got 
in his kitchen and uh, a well-executed left elbow to the temple ended the chirping. Uh, that, <laughs> but I mean, and it, it wasn't uh, anything that we do. <laughs> but uh, just to, to give a grade on it, I you know you, you grade film every Sunday if you're a football coach. Uh, armchair grade on this elbow uh, by a Nebraska fan to Buff fan. It's nine and a half out of ten. But the fights they, that I saw on social media, the video clips, all involved spilled beer yes. or thrown <laughs> beer. Yeah. So beware when it co- inevitably comes to Memorial Stadium that it's not the drunkness of the fans that's going to get them in trouble and turn into the fights. It's actually emptying the beer on the head of another fan or the clothing of another fan. Well, uh, you know how disrespectful that is to go spend. Twelve dollars on a beer and then to dump it on somebody—that that adds to the disrespect. Whenever you have you have spent your hard-earned money on this beer, I feel I feel be better. I feel if someone's pouring a twelve-dollar beer on me, they must really—they must really hate you. They do. Yeah, I just, ho- I just hope it was beer. It's well, all about disrespect. Fair. Disrespect. It's or, the whole. It's the theme of of the entire weekend. It, you're right. Yeah, real or manufactured. Well, and and there was some real uh, manufactured disrespect in the. Uh, in the hotel bar, before we get into prime disrespect, Nebraska rule, and all of that. So, got to give a shout out to, to Jeff and Brian, uh, some, some listeners and great folks that, that go back to the original Average Joe Sports Show. Legit. Elijah and I are having beers with them after the reaction show we did. And they're like, yeah, we, we've both lived in Lincoln for a time. This goes back years and years. And their their good deed of the day was finding a lost wallet in the can. They look at the ID, and it's it's a Nebraska fan from I would say North Central Nebraska fan that had been going hard all morning, all afternoon, and needed a, a pick me up. So he didn't have his wallet. These Nebraska fans. Uh, Jeff and Brian return it to this uh, this gentleman, and he's like, "Well, hey, let me buy you a shot." So the bartender's like, "Brother, you've had way too many." And in fairness to said bartender, uh, the guy was in everybody's bubble. He probably didn't remember half of what was going on on Sunday. So the bartender not only shuts off overdone Nebraska fan, but the folks that returned the wallet. What time of day was this? This was about six. six. <laughs> about six p.m. P.m. Yeah. Okay. All right. Six p.m. And if, if you're overdone at six a.m., the, 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 the bartender might have a point. <laughs> I saw some. I saw some impressive drinking happening in the early part of that day. That's yeah. why I asked. But six p.m. is still. You're still standing. Yeah. Six p.m. is 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 a little early to be. Uh, but this in guy, that shape. this guy needed to go cool it. But he was spending whatever he was spending a night to stay there. But they, they did the guilt by association thing. So not only did they shut off homeboy who didn't need any more, but the folks that, that returned the wallet were also blackballed from any more booze. It's so unfortunate. That, well, the, then, then the, the negotiation came in. And what if we just drink beer instead of hard stuff? So that's how the Great Boulder Treaty of 2023 <laughs> was, was where alcohol uh, was, was, was taken away then permitted only in beer form. And then 30 minutes later, we were able to have some old fashions with the guy. <laughs> we <laughs> smuggled in some old fashions. Well, Smee, did, did you hear the part of the story? And I, I was talking with them after the fact, you know, having a little, a little debrief. <laughs> <laughs> they were pulling up court cases online. No, so they're, they're, pull, they're pulling up court cases online, being like, the precedent was set. And one of the guys like, yeah, I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. This is right. I wouldn't argue this case, but I'm a lawyer. And they, they have a point here. <laughs> The court cases have set the president. You're not allowed to cut us off right now. And and the bartender, like to that. his credit, I think was just getting frustrated. He said, All right, guys, you know what? <laughs> Screw it. Have kill, a beer. I don't want to deal with this. Here you go. <laughs> so shout out to Jeff and Brian. Yes. Also, shout out, maybe the highlight of my trip. I run into at the hotel. I'm staying in, in um, Broomfield. Mm-hmm. After the game, after the Texas-Alabama game, done working, coming back to my hotel for a few hours of sleep before I have to head to the Denver airport on Sunday morning. Have fun. And I run into, yeah, at least I flew. I run into <laughs> Craig Corston. Does that name ring a bell? And Mitch Abeda. Sort of, kind of. These me. are 
Nebraska baseball players circa 2008-09. Okay. Right on the tail end of my run, long run, over 10 years, covering Nebraska baseball on a, on a really regular basis, mm-hmm. the three College World Series trips. And Corsten recognized me, which I felt bad about, that I didn't recognize mm-hmm. him. But I ended up standing around the bar in the, in the lobby of the Renaissance in, in Broomfield having a talk with Craig Corsten and, and Mitch Abeda, um, from, they're, they're from Texas. They live in Texas. And uh, really good conversation. Good to catch up with those guys. Great, great guys. So shout out to the, to the ex-Nebraska baseball players who were there supporting Matt Rule and the Huskers. Guys, uh, this is the Average Joe Sports Show podcast. Chris Schmidt, uh, Mitch Sherman, Bill Dolman, Elijah Herbal. Uh, let's stay with the disrespect theme and get into what has become uh, the card that, that Dion's going to keep playing Props to them going 2-0, and and I know Nebraska fans right now are snarling at that comment, but they are 2-0. and Game day is their big noon kickoff is just staying all week because it's been nothing but a bit of prime love fest. And, and Colorado uh, and Shadour and company, I mean, they got it going in the second half. Uh, Nebraska just didn't have any answers. Nebraska's offensively challenged. Clearly, they're, they're working on that, and, and Coach Rule's uh, every time he talks, I know Nebraska fans want it now and want wins now, but his his big picture outlook is 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 something I would I would still buy stock in despite the start. But man, uh, Mitch Rule was asked about the, this topic of disrespect right before his presser ended this week, early in the week, and it's it's something that he responded to and. There's a lot of things floating out there and narratives out there that are are, are getting the pe- people to, to, to clue in on and talk about, but there's, there's more to some of this story. So first, just take a second to think about the fact that Big Noon Kickoff and College Game Day are in Boulder this week. For Colorado State. For Colorado State. Like, they go to the same game maybe like once every two years, like it, Ohio it, State, it, Michigan. Right. And they're going to be there both. I mean... Big Noon is staying there all week. They're just—they're not even breaking down the set. It's just going to be there. I mean, maybe Coach Prime will stop by on Wednesday afternoon, and who knows? Give him an interview and let him know how Colorado State is disrespecting the Buffs because you know that that is taking place this week in the state of Colorado. And I say this because it's all credit to Colorado and Deion Sanders for finding a way to be motivated, even if it's fabrication. And it's fabrication in the case of what happened on Saturday. Nebraska didn't disrespect Colorado in the offseason. Matt Rule didn't disrespect Colorado in the offseason by saying that he was looking forward to coaching his own players in April on the day before the transfer portal opened. It wasn't a shot at Dion. It could have been a shot at anyone who takes players from the transfer portal, including Nebraska. Mm-hmm. But it, it was, you know, Matt Rule is not the guy to go and disrespect someone. And in fact, and asked about it today, he said, I've never disrespected an opponent in my life, and I never will. And knowing Matt Rule, like I think we've come to know mm-hmm. him over the past nine months, he was not disrespecting anyone. They weren't disrespecting Colorado by standing on the field at the 50-yard line before the game. And that was a big topic of conversation among the CU players with Shadur Sanders, with Deion Sanders, with Xavier Weaver, the receiver, who caught a touchdown in this game, maybe two touchdowns, a big part of their passing game that they felt disrespected by Nebraska and Matt Rule in the offseason and on that day. And great for Colorado to find that kind of motivation. I'm sure Dion used that kind of motivation as a player. We've seen great athletes do that throughout history. Who's the guy that says, and, that, and I felt I took that personal? It's Michael Jordan from The Last Dance. Well, How many, he said it ten times, you know, an episode it seemed like. That's what Dion does. Or, and great that he's handing it down to his kids. Or I think back to Georgia last year. You get to the national championship game. Yeah. Everyone was saying that we wouldn't do anything this year. No, Georgia. No one was saying that. Everyone had you right. do no the college football play playoff. Yeah. No one wanted to play you. But there was some phantom prediction that Georgia was going to go seven and five in twenty twenty two, and the players they remembered it was, that it was probably written by Kirby Smart somewhere. <laughs> so that, guys, I just read this. See what I have, fellas. It says seven and yeah. five. Yeah, <laughs> you know that you would think that Matt Rule stole the Sooner Schooner and parked the horse on the logo until it was done. <laughs> or that Matt Rule commandeered the the Florida State Seminole pony and, and you know, slammed the spear down, 
and broke down the velvet ropes that surround the Buffalo logo at midfield and and put a flaming spear into it. And and anybody who has played the game of football, peewee league to high school to college, a lot, a lot of times the coach will say, all right, guys, huddle up. The most centralized location to huddle up is at midfield. And if you look at the video you know that's, that has emerged – it looks like Nebraska is having somewhat of a little team meeting at the most centralized location, and that was it. But it's become the Shadur pointing at the watch, and then the comments after, and it and it continues to go on throughout this week after the game. It is still making headlines. Nebraska's antics, and I just think it was such a fairly innocent moment. Now, if you want to go back in time, Elijah. You go back to the 1994 Nebraska-Colorado game at Memorial Stadium. The Buffs come out on the field. It's the first season of the Husker Vision and the Tunnel Walk and all of that. Colorado took the field first. And in Moss, in the final moments before kickoff, not an hour before, as this is alleged to have happened, a Colorado in Moss jumped on the end and saluted the crowd, telling them that they were number one, Right. And then the tunnel walk started. And Bill McCartney even alluded to this in his post-game comments because the tunnel walk started, and at that time it wasn't that big of a deal. But Tom Osborne, Tommy Frazier, Mike Mentor, the two players in street clothes who were not playing that day, are walking down the big screen. And I remember being at that game, and I'm watching this, trans- this transpire. The Colorado players on the end stopped and started watching TV. And they watched as Tom Osborne stoically walked down the tunnel with Frazier and Minter and the rest of the team behind him, and Nebraska wins it 24 to, what, 7? Mm-hmm. Might as well have been 36 to 14, right? Or 63-36, whatever the case might be. But Bill McCartney alluded to it. Game was over right about then. Great, great Colorado team. You're talking about Cordell Stewart, Michael Westbrook, Rashawn Salam, the Heisman winner. They beat Michigan at the, the big house that year. Right. Incredible Colorado team. Great players on the defensive side, too. And you're right. Nebraska wins that game in the pregame tunnel walk because of the intimidation factor. And Colorado, before the game, is stomping on the end, doing exactly what Rule and the Huskers are accused of doing an hour before the game. Right. We've seen disrespect before. You brought up the Sooner Schooner, and it reminded me of the effing hillbillies uh, comment (laughs) from the 2005 Nebraska Oklahoma game. That was that was somewhat disrespectful. I think if there's audio to the video of the Nebraska players standing at midfield before kickoff, well before kickoff, this was over an hour before kickoff. They'd not gone back to the locker room and and, and dressed at that point. There was a, a chant coming out of the Colorado student section that was potentially disrespectful, but yeah. again, that was coming from the student section, so you can make of it what you will. All of this stuff, and Colorado's going to make a lot every week out of some form of disrespect. I think it's going to be it's the, it's the, uh, the story behind the story of their season. However this goes for Colorado, if they win six games, seven games, eight games, it's all going to be about how they were disrespected by their opponents. No one believed in us. Uh, people have taken shots at us. They've been taking shots at my dad. I mean, there's the narrative, and it's the button that keeps getting pushed. And we'll see how long that battery lasts. And, and maybe they, they stay hot. Who, who knows how Colorado responds when they're on the road in, in Eugene in two weeks? Who knows how they hey, respond when SC comes to town? They're good. No, they are, com- they're, they are, they're confident. They're good. They are athletic. They are fast. And they deserve to be 2-0. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't need to manufacture very much. Shadur is, I think, a... Patrick Mahomes style quarterback. Mm-hmm. The way that he plays reminds me, and I'm not saying he's going to be Mahomes. He's not. But his pocket presence, his ability to throw from unusual arm angles, throw through traffic, the kind of player that he is, it reminds me of Mahomes. And Mahomes has incredible awareness and instincts and it remains to be seen if Shadur can do anything like that at the college level, let alone the NFL level. But just the way that he plays the game it's, it's reminiscent. You know, you hear that comparison thrown around all the time when there's great college quarterbacks. This is the first one that I've seen who actually plays the game similar to what Mahomes Lengthening does. Lengthening plays. Yeah, yeah oh he just keeps gosh. it alive. Keep alive. He does. He keeps it alive, well, and he's got weapons, guys, and they are, they are feeling it. And they're, they're, they're not only 
staying alive to make big plays, but they're 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 seizing this moment and they're they're explosive. I mean, Nebraska played well enough to to win that game for a long stretch of the game, and then the the levy busted. If he if he gets hurt, if he gets hurt, it's over. They may not win another game. And that's what I was going to go to is is coming into that game, the storylines are Travis Hunter, his Heisman candidacy. I came away from that game much more impressed with what I saw from Shadura Sanders. His ability to roll left, flip the hips, and fire a dart was impressive. That two-point conversion that ended up being uh, bouncing in the end zone. The skip. That play was, <laughs> I mean, the, the Colorado student section was celebrating that like that was a game-winning touchdown. Rightfully so. That right. was an incredible play from Shadura Sanders to be able to elude three Husker defensive linemen, stay in bounds on the right sideline. I think he threw it off of one foot and fired a dart into the end zone on that two-point conversion when the game's already out of hand. You don't need to make a play like that. You can just step out of bounds, and it's not going to matter. The, the Buffs are winning that football game. To go and make that play in that moment was super, super impressive to me, and I, I was much more impressed with what I saw on Saturday from Shadur Sanders than what I was from anyone else on that Buffs team. I think Hunter's probably the guy who ends up getting drafted higher, mm-hmm. and I say that moments after comparing Shadur Sanders to Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> but again, a poor man's Patrick Mahomes, but... Um, Hunter is an incredible talent. Mm-hmm. He didn't get the opportunities that he had against TCU. Nebraska did a decent job against him, and he still made some plays. But it wasn't um, it wasn't a Heisman caliber game like we saw in the opener. Now he was he was held in check. We're talking quarterbacks here. It's the Average Joe Sports Show podcast. Bill Dolman, Mitch Sherman, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Guys, let's let's stay on quarterbacks because that's the topic this week around here is the health of Jeff Sims. And the turnovers of Jeff Sims and Coach Rule talked about it's not always on the quarterback, but but a lot of Saturday was on the quarterback. And and Harburg's going to get up to speed this week because of the the potential ankle with Sims. And same with Chubba Purdy as he's coming back from a groin injury. And you saw one play from Chubba, but you saw more from Harburg. I liked the the little window I saw from Harburg. There's so much talent, though, in Jeff Sims when you just look at, at, the, at the positive plays he can make. But what's taken away from that upside is just the reality of so many turnovers in such a short sample size. Well, let me ask the question to the room. When you look at that, that, that game that we saw last Saturday, if I would have told you before the game that Jeff Sims would have had three first-half turnovers, do you think that Heinrich Harburg's first snap wouldn't have been until the fourth quarter? You know, I would probably say no. I think there's a big enough gap there that Nebraska's riding on the horse they came in Mm -hmm. with, and that's Jeff Sims. It's also the second game of the season and the second game of a coaching regime. If you were in year five, if Sims was in year three, I think it's a different answer. But this is so new to everybody. It's not new to us as observers, as media. It's certainly not new to Nebraska fans who felt the pain for a decade or two decades. But to these guys, this is game two. And Nebraska invested a lot in Jeff Sims. I mean, a lot of time, a lot of energy. This is the guy that they went and got to be the quarterback. So to pull him three halves into the season, I mean, I know there was a lot of talk in the press box about whether we were going to see Heinrich Harburg coming out at the start of the third quarter. I didn't have any doubt at all that Jeff Sims was going to start the third quarter, even with the two fumbles and an interception in the first half. That's just me. I think it could go another direction fairly soon here if he continues to have these kind of struggles or if he's not able to run even this Saturday because of the ankle. If he can't run... I don't know that you can put him out there. So we may see Heinrich Harburg or Chubba Purdy even as soon as, as Saturday night at Memorial Stadium. The thing that uh, that strikes me, again, going back kind of on a historical perspective, is I'm not sure if you go back 30, 40-plus years where you've had back-to-back games where you can really pin a lot of points given up and lost on the quarterback position at Nebraska. And, and I think at halftime – what was it, 13? What was 13 it, 13? Nothing. 13 nothing. Nebraska had given up 26 points on the season at, ha- at halftime. 13 to Minnesota, 13 to Colorado. Jeff Sims directly had a hand on 23 of those points. And how many points were left off the board, you know, be it of a, because of a fumble that took him out of field goal range or a potential touchdown or the interception in the end zone against Minnesota? So 23 out of 26 are directly related to the quarterback play. And if you go back in time at Nebraska, 
I can only think of a couple of instances that really stand out. And you go back to 1981. Nebraska opens the season with a loss at Iowa. They start the season 1-2. and two. They were ranked and then out of the top 25. And they're playing Auburn at home. And there was a kid from Fort Worth, Texas, on the bench that people had seen play freshman ball and had been excited. And then Tom Osborne decides to start Turner Gill. And they beat Auburn. And they end up in the national championship game that year, losing controversially to, to Clemson. But the quarterback change was made because there was somebody there that could take over. Fast forward maybe a decade or so later, 1992, Mike Grant's the starting quarterback. And I can't remember for the life of me who was also uh, the number two that was a contender in fall camp. But there was a kid out of Bradenton, Florida. Was it? Zvielan. Tony Zvielan. Uh, yeah, who's a great high school quarterback in Omaha. But it ended up being a great collegiate safety. But there was somebody waiting in the wings after inconsistent quarterback play that just continued to build up and build up. That team was still good. But eventually Tom made the change and brings in Tommy Frazier against Missouri, and they win that game and nearly win potentially a national title, at least get into the conversation. Bobby Newcomb and Eric Crouch, a little bit of a quarterback controversy, not quarterback play, but at least you had a couple of guys in camp that could get it done. You don't have that same kind of waiting in the wings right now after two games of inconsistent and very detrimental quarterback play. Therein lies the problem. We can play the what-if game, and I can go to my adopted semi-hometown of Gretna, Nebraska, and we can go back to last fall and look at the situation that happened when Scott Frost was fired and Nebraska and Mickey Joseph immediately reached out to who I believe is the best-throwing quarterback ever to play high school football in the state of Nebraska, and Zane Flores, throwing, I said. (laughs) He's not better than Eric Crouch. You can save the phone calls and emails. (laughs) (laughs) But as a thrower, as good or better, better than anyone. And he stuck with his commitment to Oklahoma State, even after Matt Rule came in and made a push in December and let Zane and his family and the coaches at Gretna High School know how how badly they would have liked to have been able to sign him, but he was an early enrollee and the process had played out and he was going to Oklahoma State. If it had been different and you had a true freshman with that kind of arm talent who was in Lincoln right now, we might be having a different conversation. But the fact of the matter is I totally agree with you, Bill. There is no Turner Gill. There is no Tommy Frazier. There is no Eric Crouch as a freshman on this roster who can step in. Nothing against Heinrich Harburg and Chubba Purdy, but Heinrich is an athlete playing the quarterback spot. Great runner. Maybe has better potential in this program as a tight end or an H-back or something like that. And Chubba, well, first of all, he hasn't been healthy this fall, and he just hasn't gotten it done. He's had the chance at two schools to be on the field and just haven't seen it. Maybe it comes in the future, but this is not Tommy Frazier that we're talking about. Not at all. I think, though, the, the, the flip side of that is what have we seen from Heinrich Harburg on the field that would show us that this guy can't lead the offense as well as Jeff Sims? Because you haven't seen him on the football field. We've heard reports from camp, and and we've seen him in limited action in spring games, but I don't think there's been that proof-in-the-pudding moment that Husker fans can point to and say, well, no, this this guy isn't as good as Jeff Sims. And, and maybe he's not as dynamic throwing the football as Jeff Sims, but if he goes out there and is, Holds on to the ball? Is, is a four of six for 50 yards in the game with zero turnovers. I think you can paint that as being more of an advantage to the offense than a guy who goes out there and is 11 of 15 for 110 yards but throws three picks. And, and that's where I think the frustration comes from Husker fans and that you haven't seen what Heinrich Harburg can do on the field. And despite that Jeff Sims continues shooting that Husker offense in the foot th- thus far this season, you haven't gotten the chance to say, hey, let's see what Heinrich Harburg can do. Maybe he's a gamer. Maybe he goes out there on Saturday and performs better than he ever has in practice because he, he performs best when the lights are shining. I think there's just that argument to be had of why haven't we seen this guy despite what we have seen from Jeff Sims so far this year? It's a valid point. It, it, it's, you just don't know. You're going to go off of what you see in practice and what you project as part of your game plan. And if, if your trust level isn't high in practice, you're really sketchy about throwing – somebody in but and I, then there's there's no no i i get it i just don't I, I don't see how the trust level in sims can be higher based on what you've seen so far this well season. You, I mean, you, you have you have eight quarters right now or at least six quarters uh that have turnover filled but you have upside I, I mean i think sims is a better runner than harburg and sims got off to a good throwing start i thought he looked pretty crisp throwing you know he was i think seven for seven or, or nine for nine one of those two numbers 
with passes 10 yards or under. I mean, his, his accuracy there was fine. He had one drop uh, that was a, kind of a key long third down before things really got out of hand on Saturday. But they, they just Nebraska has not had any threat downfield, which, which also kind of hurts the, um, the passing game. And the left side of the offensive line is still waiting for Big Teddy to get right and, and to, to get that stabilized. Because the O-line, while better, you're running for 200 yards, is still not uh, quite at the level you need it to be at right now for Nebraska. You know, one thing I've observed about this staff and heard it again on Monday from Matt Rule when I asked him about the freshman wide receivers and what he needs to see from them and their limited reps in games in order to get them more snaps and more opportunities because that's the key to opening up the field is getting Malachi Coleman and Jalen Lloyd and eventually Jaden Doss when he's healthy and Jeremiah Charles mm-hmm. onto the field. And he said it's not necessarily about the reps that they put in in the games. They're getting them into the game so they can get comfortable and feel okay in that moment. It's about the reps that they put in in practice during the week and what they've done through the offseason and how bought in they are. And in the case of the receivers, they have to know all three receiving positions, You know, which I'm not sure if that's the right tack to have. I'm okay teaching Malachi Coleman one position and a couple of routes and saying go out there and use your 10-4 speed to blow the top off of this defense. But I'm not the coach. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the same with the quarterbacks. And the reason that Heidenrich Harburg is the number two quarterback and solidly in that number two position behind the solid number one, at least go right now, is because the reps that he's put in in practice haven't been on the same level of Jeff Sims. At some point, the game reps have to mean more. Mm-hmm. In the six, Jeff Sims has more turnovers himself in seven and a half quarters of football than all but 12 out of the 133 teams in the country. Mm. And at some point, that's got to be what matters the most. And I know it is in the long run, but at what point does it cross over and you say, okay, what happens in practice? We're going to put that on the back burner and look more at what's happening in the games. Mm -hmm. Now, does Nebraska get a reason to put Harburg on the field on Saturday against Northern Illinois? When Matt Rule met the media on Monday, he's talking about Jeff Sims' ankle injury. Don't really know. Doesn't sound tremendously serious. Is that early in the week coach speak that we don't quite know? And that gives you the opportunity to look at him and evaluate both of them throughout the week. And if Sims is, say, 75% ago, is that enough to start Harburg? Right? To give Harburg his chance at home against Northern Illinois who's coming off a loss against Southern Illinois. I know that uh, Rule called that a rivalry game. Okay, we'll accept FCS. that. <laughs> right. But uh, does Nebraska get a reason to get Harburg onto the field, if not in a starting role, at least early and more often? And the same goes for Purdy because of what happened late in the Colorado game with Sims getting hurt. My That's suspicion your window. Is yes. That's My your suspicion window. is yes, that they can use that as a reason. Now, he has to be true to his team. He has to be real to his team. And if Jeff Sims is ready to go, and all the, all the team is going to know that. The guys in the locker room are going to know. And he can't come out and sell this decision to bench Jeff Sims on, a, on an injury that isn't really keeping him out of the game. Or he's going to lose some trust with those players that he spent nine months working, working to gain the trust of. So it's got to be real, or he has to just bill this as a benching. But I do think that you know high ankle sprains are tough. They can take a while to come back from. And in one week, that's a lot to ask if it's a, if it's a real high ankle sprain. So, I, but I think I think yes, there's a very real possibility early in the week, sitting here right now, very real possibility that we see Heinrich Harburg un, under center in the huddle in the shotgun on Saturday night because of Jeff Sims' compromised leg. Guys, I want to go uh, around the horn here. It's the Average Joe Sports Show podcast. Chris Schmidt, Bill Dolman, Mitch Sherman, Elijah Herbal. The quarterback spot is such a crazy animal to deal with always, but even more so now with Portal, and you're lucky to have one guy that can go get it done for you, presumably, let alone have a backup that sticks around long enough to learn the system and can go in and bail you out if your top guy's hurt or have a a bullpen option. So I'm interested here with how you move forward with this, and I like what Rule said. Jeff's our quarterback – But he's got to take care of the football. So it's not like he's untouchable. If he keeps performing poorly, where it puts the team at risk, further at risk, then you got to make the switch. And and I think that 
is is possible. I think that's doable. But I'm torn here. I'm torn with what will happen. Do you keep coaching and working with Sims and get him out of this funk? Because, I mean, there's enough talent and upside that he could change and be a guy that is less turnover prone and be that fantastic dual threat. But, but there, on the other hand, you have, you have to look at the Georgia Tech. This is no, not, I, no, this you, is not there, a new problem. No, no, I, you're not wrong. I absolutely know you're not wrong. Have we? Are we out of? Out of out of out of time here with this this sample between what he had before he came to Nebraska and the and the games you've seen at Nebraska. I think that the fan base is absolutely at this moment in time ready to move on mm-hmm. from Sims, and with Harburg. Um, if you're Harburg, are you going to be able to seize this moment and and stabilize the offense, or if you're pretty? I don't know what to do. I mean, the easy take is to. Tell Jeff to go sit down, injury or not. Let's try somebody new. Let's try somebody different. The other part of it is, uh, do you do you give up too quick on a guy and a talent like Sims? I don't have the answer. I know that my, my easy knee-jerk is to go to Harper, go to the bullpen. There's a line somewhere, and only Matt Rule knows where it is. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Fans don't know. I don't even know if the assistant coaches know. He's maybe having a conversation with Marcus Satterfield, the offensive coordinator, about how long they go with Jeff Sims if he continues to turn the ball over three times a game. I don't think it's that much farther than the place that we're at right now. You don't get to the Michigan game, certainly, on September 30th, if he's still playing like this with him as your starting quarterback. But right now, it's two games. They haven't played at home. This is a new regime. They're preaching long-term patience. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it would say to players that they may be recruiting out of the portal or as high school recruits down the road, say in December, January of this year, if they give up on their starting quarterback two games into, into the season, his fourth season of college football. There's a lot to consider, and, and Matt Rule has to consider the long term and the short term of this. So it's a fine, you know, it's, this is why he's getting. Seventy-four million dollars <laughs> because he's got to make this make this choice. He's got to be and, right, yeah. And, and he's got he's he's you know he's got a checkered history with quarterbacks. Uh, certainly, he did with the Panthers, and he's not off to a great start. To be frank, with the decisions that he's made as the Nebraska coach in this quarterback position, I'm not going to get into a debate about Casey Thompson. I think it's silly. I think it's water under the bridge. Absolutely, that page has been turned. Five touchdowns against Monmouth. Yeah. But I, I mean, even that we didn't when when they set out to recruit Jeff Sims out of the portal in December, they not only did they not know this is all I'm going to say about Casey Thompson. Not only did they not know if he would be healthy with that shoulder surgery, they didn't know if he wanted to be a part of the team. He was still going through a process of figuring out who they were as coaches and if he wanted to play another season of college football. If he did that, did he want it to be at Nebraska? So again, well, I'm done with that. No more. No, I think the Casey Thompson talk. Shouldn't even be happening. They didn't compete. But there is a lot of talk to be had about Jeff Sims and his backups. And I don't know where that line is, but we're gonna, I, th- I think we're, we're probably going to find out. Yeah, as soon as there's one turnover at home, followed by another one at home. Place at, is going to go nuts. At yeah. what pl- and at what point is it detrimental to, to Jeff Sims, you know, that he continues to have the problem? At some point, <laughs> you know, you've you got to get everybody to, to feeling good about something. You know, and putting some points on the board with with, and how much is it holding back? What maybe Marcus Satterfield can call? You know, I, I don't, I can't go downfield because he just doesn't have the confidence. I can't call this play because he doesn't have the confidence. And we saw a couple of option looks. Is he confident in pitching? I don't know, but yeah, there there is a line, and we will find it if it if it's pretty glaring. Well, the decision making part, and and again, it's not always a, a perfect play or a perfect call. But there's been some some misses, and uh, we'll wind down with this. It's the Average Joe Sports Show podcast. Bill Dolman, Mitch Sherman, Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt. Guys, we, we look at where this Nebraska defense is at, how well they're playing. They're fun to watch. They're absolutely fun to watch. They perform at a high level. Uh, they have had a lot of weight on their shoulders. And while they've performed well and played well enough to win, They've they've not been perfect, and and that's that's absolutely okay. 
Uh, you need the complimentary football piece of this to happen sooner rather than later. And I'm, I'm anxious to figure out, do we have an idea what you feel Nebraska's veering towards offensively? What can they build on to, to help the defense out? What can they do moving forward? You've got two games that you're supposed to win. <laughs> Easier said than done. Need to win. Need to win, thank you. And then you got Michigan. I mean, you still got a lot of season left, and you still have t- enough talent on this team to, to win more ball games, to, to win a ball game. And there's some things that need to be figured out. What, what can this offense do? Mitch, I'll start with you, and then we'll go around the horn to, uh, to maybe stabilize, aside from the turnovers and quarterback question mark. You know, I wrote after the game on Saturday and in, in my final word from Boulder that it was important for Nebraska, and I meant the whole program, including the fans, to really take a look at what this moment was for Nebraska. Because I think some people are confused. Some people want to, um, you know, go right into the mode that they've been in five times out of the last t- 10 years. It's only natural for Nebraska fans to feel this way and start to um, pass judgment with every decision, every moment on the head coach. Uh, you know, you go back to 2013, 14, 17, and then the last two years with Scott Frost and Mickey Joseph as the interim, it was all about, all of the discussion was about the head coach. And that's not what this year is. You know, you can just dissect Matt Rule. We can, we can debate whether he made right decisions or not, but he's here for the long term. So it's divisive and it's unproductive for that to be the entire conversation. And I think when it comes to the Nebraska offense, you have to also take a look at what kind of a moment this is for the Nebraska offense. Are you playing for this thing in the short term? Of course, you want to win games this year. But what's more important? The long term. So how do you serve the, the good health of the Nebraska offense long term? Does that mean you, know, you go to somebody who could be the future quarterback for this team? I would guess just guessing right now that the starting quarterback in 2024 is not on this mm-hmm. roster. I, I, I really don't think that he is. And maybe Heinrich Harburg or Chubba Purdy will prove me wrong, and I hope they do because it would be a great story. And that's what I'm rooting for is great stories. I'm not going to throw a name of a team out there, but I'm sure people were watching football on Saturday or Saturday night after Nebraska lost to Colorado thinking who's got depth at the quarterback position. That, and that's the way people watch games anymore. Well, they've got three quarterbacks. A couple of them are great. I wonder who's going to leave. You know, people watch the, people watch college football that way anymore. And I think you're right. They you think, oh, you know, they got some depth there. Somebody's not going to be happy, and that's unfair to the players who are here. But that's just the way that's just the way college football is right now. I, as far as identity offensively, I think it's going to have to get back to basics. I didn't think Marcus Satterfield necessarily called a bad game. On Saturday against what he Colorado, didn't get done right. But you had you had some you had turnovers that stalled drives, and you had uh, you know a snap that hits the fullback in motion and just that completely disrupted. And then you got a field goal that hits an upright. So there are points that are left off the board. I did not think that it was that poorly called of a game uh, from an offensive standpoint. That defense is good enough to win games in the Big Ten. You mentioned Illinois and Kansas. Uh, Michigan State's got issues, shall we say? Purdue doesn't, you know, new new regime there. You know, Nebraska's got an opportunity with that defense to win football games in the Big Ten. It does. It has to limit the mistakes on offense. They can't have the offense losing games for Nebraska. If you can get to that point where the offense just takes care of its own business and doesn't lose games, I think Nebraska has an opportunity to win. It's going to be in games. Mm-hmm. It's not out of the out of the question at this point before these two non-conference games happen, it's still in the ballpark to be able to win six this year and get to a bowl game. I think that's fair. Uh, Elijah, you've got 10 games left. I know you got to go six and four. Hold on, let's carry the one. You know what I'm saying. That's correct. <laughs> so you got to get that handled. Um, but uh, we just got to see if it's, if it's possible and it starts Saturday night for Coach Rule. And... I think what you look for moving forward in this season is are we ready to put a bowl game off the table as being a successful season? I think you're just looking for improvement as the year goes on. Think back to a team that is currently near the top of college football, Florida State. What did their build look like under Mike Norvell? It started out in year one going three and six. The next year after that, they, they improve a little bit. They're five and seven, but they still lose to Jacksonville State, an FCS program. And people had questions about Mike Norvell. And where's yet two years later? 
He's a top 10 football team, one of the best in the ACC. The build takes time. I think you're looking for improvement as this, this year goes on. I think you're looking specifically from the offensive point of view, a team that doesn't turn the ball over, and that pains me to say as a guy who had to watch the Broncos last year and had to watch their defense carry the water in every single game they played and their offense consistently let them down. That was difficult on the defense, but the defense came to play every single game. You look for that. Can this coaching staff keep the defense involved? Can it keep them engaged as the year goes on, just, just to keep this team in it, or, or are they going to lose that defense? That's that's what I look for. Can you keep the team together? Can you keep this this boat moving in the right direction? And can you see improvement as the year goes on? Because I'm I'm I don't think we see a bowl game this year. It's as simple as that. Based on what this offense ask. is, there's there's enough talent though, guys. If they can figure it, God, it's a it's an e- it's an easy question. There's, that- there's enough talent on the defensive side of the ball. I haven't seen enough talent on the offensive side of the ball. I, I think something we said in the post game show, which still rings true, is you have a an eight or a nine win defense combined with a two-win offense. That's what you have right now. Can that offense reach a point that it looks like a four-win offense by the end of the year? That's a win in in your first season. And then you can go back to the drawing board in the offseason. You can see what uh, coaches like Coach Prime have done in the transfer portal. Go find some some supplemental pieces. You missed on some transfer portal guys this year. Can you hit on them next year and, and just move this team in the right direction. That's what we saw last year. The team moved in the right direction. That's where there was hope in the offseason. You thought the transfer portal acquisitions could fix some holes. They haven't, at least thus far this season, lived up to the billing that they got whenever they were brought into Nebraska. But we know the way forward in college football and flipping a roster and and turning a team is going to be supplementing your roster via the transfer portal and improving what you already have. I don't think Nebraska did well enough in the transfer portal this offseason based on what we've seen so far. Can they flip that script next offseason? That's the point I'm at, too, which which sucks to say after two games, but I think you have to start looking ahead to next offseason. Well, I, I'm not ready to go there. I think there's enough there with the home schedule to, uh, to get to six, and I think that still should be the bar, despite how things started. Uh, because you've helped out both opponents. Both opponents have some upside to them, but you've done uh, your your Christmas or holiday shopping for, for two programs with turnovers and points on turnovers. Mitch Sherman, Bill Goldman, and Elijah Herbal Chris Schmidt, thanks for tuning in to the Average Joe Sports Show Podcast. We'll be back at you next week.